Ephesians. Today we're talking about God's plan. An interesting sermon. God's plan, not not the popular song by Drake, but God's plan. Today we're talking about the, the meaning of the universe, summed up in one word. God's plan, summed up in a word. God's grand meta-narrative. And I'm not, I'm not just uh, hyping this up. This is actually what Paul gets to right here. And I admit, before I even get into it, it's so high and lofty that I I kept thinking, man, how do I make this practical? How do I just make it practical for people? All week I was thinking about that, and then probably yesterday I turned around and said, it's not supposed to be practical. (laughs) Actually, the the last three chapters of Ephesians is the practical part. The part of, uh, here's what you should commit to, here's how you can practice things, serve one another, etc., But the first three chapters is all glory and praise and worship to God. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear me get a little practical, but I want to fight to just focus today on God's plan, God's glory, what God is doing, Mm -hmm. so that we can have a heart to see him more clearly. Amen? Amen. You can open your Bibles. We'll get a running start just reading this first chapter of Ephesians. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And just take note of how many times it says in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We're still moving through this blessing section. So these are all blessings in the heavenly places. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7 is our focus today, going into verse 10, this section. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 10 says there's a plan. Leading up to it, remember this is all one long run-on sentence, so we're still in this section of blessings. And it's all so connected. I love it. We, we had Daniel Lauterbach speaking a few weeks ago about that part, just speaking of redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know what Daniel talked about, but he probably talked about redemption through Jesus Christ, where we're redeemed, we're saved, we're ransomed by his blood. And man, that's part of God's plan. We're just going to lead up into verse 10, how it all flows into each other and connects. There's two truths about redemption, what God is working there. It says in First Peter that we're saved from the futile ways of our ancestors or the empty ways of life from our forefathers. We're, we're redeemed from wickedness what the blood of Jesus does for us. And it also says 
in Titus, Titus 2.14. So Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's practical. But today we're talking about Jesus, his redemption, that transformation. That's a light and day difference when we come in contact with that saving grace and blood of Jesus Christ. I'm sure Daniel did a great lesson on that. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Man, just a cascading waterfall of grace being lavished upon us, the richness of his grace, and it coming through in, in all wisdom and insight. And, you know, sometimes I want to separate these things, like there's redemption over here, then there's a lavishing grace over here, and then there's wisdom and insight, and it's totally different than grace over here, but actually, this grace is lavished upon us in wisdom and insight. And I think Ben probably touched on that in his, his midweek uh, the other week. I think there's a, a good discussion I heard about on our Zoom midweek. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Known to us the mystery of his will. Ben or anyone who was on that midweek, what's the, what's the mystery of his will? Ben's like, come on, guys, we're talking about that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in this context, and he gets into it later in Ephesians, it's that plan to unite everything in him. So it's talking about Jews and Gentiles, but it's also talking about <coughs> everything. Yes. This idea of unity in Christ. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah, he talks about it later in Ephesians, that, hey, Jews and Gentiles. Paul said, that's the mystery that's been administered to me. So if, if we're hearing this for the first time, this letter read, maybe we don't realize it until later in Ephesians when it says, hey, Jews and Gentiles both have this. Maybe we realize it right here that, hey, if I'm a Gentile, this isn't only for the Jews. I'm adopted. I'm chosen. I'm a part of this uniting all things. What a blessing that is. With wisdom and insight. It says it's been made known to us. So if I'm hearing that for the first time, I'm kind of like, it has? <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is a, a spiritual reality I'm not in touch with yet? <laughs> oh, you're, you're my brother? A Gentile? Okay. I think some of them know these things. It says it's been made known to you in all wisdom and insight. I think others are kind of hearing about it and going, okay, I guess I do know that. That's awesome. Same thing for us today. Maybe we've read through this before. I think God can always help us to draw near to him, to see him more clearly. We can have that same insight that Paul has, the mystery of his will. By reading about God through the revelation of his world, not his world, but his word revealed to Paul, right? Mm -hmm. Revealed to Paul. Making known to us wisdom and insight. Let's get up into verse 10, the focus of today. And Veronica, I'll, I'll go ahead and have you jump over to the next 
slide. But as we get into verse 10, the, the crux, the, the tension, the question I would ask us today when it comes to figuring out God's plan, it's kind of easier for me to see God's plan when I contrast it with our own plan, my plan. How does my plan compare? How does it fall short against the glory of God's plan so many times? It helps me appreciate God so much more. Let me appreciate that lavished grace with all wisdom and insight that he's been giving this plan to me. Wisdom and insight, I think that means that we're to have a good understanding of this and a practical understanding of it. These spiritual realities, seeing life through God's perspective, but seeing them through God's perspective to the degree that we, we do something about it, like we just sing, Man, I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I couldn't keep it to myself. So I started walking, talking, singing about it. I love that song. It gets to that practical, but man, before we bless others, we kind of need to know how we've been blessed. We need to know about God's plan. Amen? Amen. That living out will come later in the letter. Verse 10 says this in a few different ways. I'll go ahead and read them all here because, and I'll let you know where, where I think we kind of get closest to the actual Greek, but to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. There's your NIV. But rather than put into effect, the ESV says, hey, it's, it's a plan. And rather than unite all things, it says unite all things for the ESV, the King James Version has a fancy word, the dispensation, <laughs> like dispense things, right? And rather than unite all things, it's gather together in one all things. Pretty close, just a little bit of nuance there. The NASB says a view to an administration suitable rather than a plan or something to be put into effect. And rather than Unite all things, it says, the summing up of all things in Christ. That gives us a better idea of what Paul is getting at here. So God's plan, if the plan is this putting into effect, this purposing, this dispensation, this household administration or administration suitable, what does that look like in our lives? How are we humbled by that? How are we seeing that? And two things I ask myself to make it a little more real is how do I see myself as part of God's plan? And how do I see others as part of God's plan? Because I, I could be a little unhealthy if I'm unbalanced or I go to an extreme in either direction there. When I lose sight of God's administration and his plan. Later, that exact same word, administration, will be used in Ephesians to talk about us serving the church. But here it's talking about God's administration. So if I go too far in those extremes, perhaps it's that I don't trust God to work through me. I don't really think I can be a part of God's plan. Which is really saying I, I don't really believe that God is all-powerful and that he's able to work through me. Maybe I'm trying to believe in myself too much and I'm not really believing in my God. 
that his plan, his administration, this uniting all things includes me. Or maybe I just think too highly of myself, opposite extreme, right? If I think too much of myself, if I really believe in me, then maybe I don't really see how others can be a part of God's plan. But uniting all things means God's plan for your life involves the brothers and sisters on your left and your right. This is beginning the theme of unity we see throughout Ephesians. Basically, none of us should be a ball hawk when it comes to God's plan. I was a midfield when I played soccer, running up and down the fields. You exhaust yourself when you're the ball hog. I can say that much. Two unhealthy extremes. And the incredible thing here when I think about God's lavished grace, God's plan, God uniting all things and bringing the family together here in Bend, Oregon, is that we have some amazing people in this room. Some people who God is working through. With incredible testimonies. So many of us have, have previously been on a mission team or been on a one-year challenge or served on a church board or been on ministry staff or led Bible talks or just, just fed the poor or been benevolent or done so many things for God. Even before coming to Bend, Oregon, I know each person in this room has been used by God in incredible ways. That's, that's humbling to think about how God can bring all of us together with different gifts, different strengths, to be used by him. There's an amazing potential right there. It gives me an inkling where I go, oh, God might be planning something right there, though I don't know quite what it is. I know we have amazing people in this room, and I'm humbled by that. You know, because we have amazing people, because we all have been used by God before, I think we probably all know what commitment looks like and what serving looks like. But again, the emphasis of Ephesians 1 isn't commitment and serving, it's God's grace. And it would be an error to, to jump into commitment today and focus on that and marginalize God's grace. That's what we want to see more clearly. We don't want to make that mistake. Same with God's plan and his grace. Yeah, we have our part in it. Man, dare we not marginalize God's part, though we have our part to play. Later on, it will de detail his body and his church and the uniting all things and how we come together as a team and how we should all be unified and one in heart and mind. But here, it's God's grace. So God's plan, that word. We have four translations there. In the Greek, it's oikonomia. What does that word kind of sound like in the English? Oikonomia. Economy. Well, that's like a fourth or fifth meaning is economy. Kind of gives us a sense of the word. Absolutely. It means properly the management of household affairs. Secondly, it would be the stewardship or administration, a dispensation or arrangement of things, a strategy or plan by the master or steward of family or household head. This is the grand purpose of God. 
Man, establishing everything, new creation under, under Christ, with him as the acknowledged head, all things unified, the harmony of the universe. Summed up in a word, Jesus, his plan. And it's kind of like, just to quickly reference, Romans 13 is the only other time Paul uses that Greek word. I'm getting ahead of myself because it's actually the only other time that Paul uses the word for to sum up in Christ. Not economia, but the next Greek word. To, to sum up everything in Christ. So Romans 13 talks about, hey, you've heard all of these laws in the Old Testament. All of the laws and all of the commandments can be summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. All of it summed up in one word. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law, which is the same word here, of this fulfillment of all the times. So that's the, the other usage by Paul in the sense by which he's using it here, this plan. It's to say it's all coming together in fullness of time. So summed up, that, that Greek word used in Romans 13, all of it can be summed up in a word like love. I want to read Colossians 1.16. says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It's very much the same idea. It's where it's all going. The conclusion of the discourse the main point of the story, that it will be all summed up in Jesus. Either with him as your savior or him as your judge, everything that's been broken or taken apart is going to be reunified and put back together in him. That's some high-level glorious stuff for us to imagine, right? Mm the fullness of times, plural, every time period, every transition of God's kingdom is leading up to that. All to be gathered together. So again, are, are we focused on God's plan? Do we lose sight of that? Do we become focused on our own plan? I certainly do, and I can certainly speak to that. <laughs> How I make a mess of my own plan. You've probably even heard me preach sermons about have a planner or get a to-do list or things along those themes. But man, today, God has something to tell us that's much greater than grab a to-do list and get a planner and certainly do those things. But what do you do when those things fail? Because they fail me often. He's been watching the, uh, the Olympics this past week. Maybe forcibly, maybe like, oh no, it's the only thing that's on. A couple of the singles watching it yesterday. All right, all right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. There's at least uh, four disciples in our movement who are over there participating in the Olympics from different churches in our family of churches. One of them I wanted to highlight and talk about today because she highlights God's plan and she says some amazing things. Who's heard of her, uh, Sydney McLaughlin? Yeah, you, you could go to the next slide, Veronica. Let's play a quick uh, 40-second clip 
that, that says so much about her. Cindy, I thought this was sweet. Right after your amazing accomplishment, you posted in part on Instagram, quote, my faith was being tested all week from bad practices to three false start delays to a meet delay. And you said, I just kept hearing God say, just focus on me. Talk to me a little bit about that post. Is faith a secret to maintaining your commitment and your drive, even after these Olympics were postponed? Absolutely. Honestly, I think that this year has been the biggest, you know, part of my success. Um, coming out of COVID in a year of so much uncertainty, uh, I really found stability in, in Christ and in my faith. And um, even in crazy meets where there's so much on the line, um, I always have something to hold on to. An amazing, remarkable young woman. She grew up in the central, central New Jersey Church of Christ. I think she's part of the L.A. Church now, or at least residing there with her parents still back in New Jersey. But... Man, she is the fastest woman in the history of all time for her event, the 400-meter hurdles. And we're talking about all time in Ephesians chapter 10. This is, this is an all-time thing, what she's accomplished. And she actually did it just uh, over in Eugene, Oregon, during the Olympic trials uh, just a bit ago. You remember when it was like 115 degrees here? She was running in that. <laughs> And uh, her race being delayed by that. And her Olympic training and the events themselves being delayed by COVID. As she mentioned in the video, her faith being tested. I want to read a couple of her quotes from an article. I think this is from The Guardian. After she set that world record in 400 meter hurdles, she said, I felt immediate excitement and overall gratefulness. I owed it all to God my family, and my team. I'm still in disbelief, but it's truly just faith, trusting the process and seeing my hard work, along with the gift of God, being put into action. The pandemic helped her gain that renewed focus. She says, that first couple of months being stuck in the house, I was like, who am I doing this for? Her outlook shifted. She became more involved with her faith. She says, my goals are different now. A lot of my life was trying to prove something, which is the endless cycle that will never fulfill you. My gifts are not to glorify myself. When I stand on the podium, I give the glory to God. And another Olympian and record setter says this about Sydney, that she trains alongside Sydney every day. She says she has the potential to become the most outstanding 400 meter hurdler of all time. Yes, but more importantly, Sid has the potential to impact lives. That is her greatest strength and her greatest opportunity. Sydney says, I see myself impacting the lives of others by living an example through my actions and kindness. Beyond being a great athlete, I want to be known as a good person of strong faith and integrity. Amen. Amen, yeah, yeah. I forget, like, Mike, I want to be like Sydney. She's pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> she has, like, a million uh, Instagram followers and tens of thousands of YouTube subscribers. And she is doing exactly what she said of having an impact, sharing her faith with millions of people. Yeah. She said this this past week, records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. 
I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. She quoted Acts, 2, Acts 20, 24, where Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, because she races, right? And complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Man, fastest woman of all time in her event, and on one of the biggest on one of the biggest stages on the planet, with all of these followers and all of this glory, and she gives it to God, and she certainly knows what it is to be in the spotlight, right? But as she's shared, she also knows what it is to go through the storms in life. The Olympics delayed, going through COVID. Uh, racing over in Eugene where there's a high pollen count and it's 115 degrees and all of that testing of her faith, drawing her closer to God. But it's interesting that that's what tested her faith, refined her faith, renewed her outlook on life and brought her closer to God. There's going through the storm, not through the success. Kind of like what Kurt McCune was telling me about going to Eastern Europe. Yeah, there's the doom, but that pulls us to look at Jesus, who's asking mm -hmm. us to be with him and do this with him, mm -hmm. to see him more clearly. Man, Sydney's plan and God's plan. An Olympian probably knows what it means to be busy, right? And to be productive. Mm -hmm and to exert a lot of energy, probably knows what it means to be exhausted, to be committed, all of these things that we strive for. I think she certainly knows about that. All right, so this quote is behind me, maybe you've read by now. Ephesians 1.10 makes me think of this by, by Major Ian Thomas. The Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or you anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. Man, that, that one's a wake-up call for me, reading Ephesians 1, where... Maybe I know that know this chapter about glory and praise to God. Maybe I know I'm living the Christian life, and maybe I know I have this redemption from Christ to Jesus, but there's a difference between knowing it and explaining it in terms of ourself and explaining our life in terms of Jesus. Only explaining our life in terms of Jesus. I think that's how Ephesians 1 can humble us. God's plan can humble us. Every single line as we've been reading through Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Paul can't really explain how we're Christians without saying that. In Christ. And so he gets to verse 10 and he's like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of saying in Christ. It just, it's all going to be summed up in Christ when we get to the end of this equation. It's all in Christ. Same thing with, with Sidney's testimony at every turn. In Christ. God's plan versus our plan. 
Where I'm humbled is that in every single book of the Bible, God does something weird. <laughs> Not the way I would do it or want it to be done. Usually in an unproductive way <laughs> and an inhuman way. Coming in in the final hour, it's just so many weird things, right? Just think about all the books of the Bible. God doesn't do things the way we would do things or the way we would plan things. But he still gets them done. And often he does them better than the way we would do them. In his wisdom and insight. This past week, some of my plans fell apart. Uh, Thursday, I wanted to go out, share my faith, get with Scott. We were praying, going, going in for Bible discussion. and Well, there, there are thunderstorms everywhere, and it was raining everywhere, so kind of hard to, to navigate around these thunderstorms and getting wet. Uh, Saturday, man, hoping to be productive and work on this sermon. But Sertia and Madison got sick. Our garbage disposal went out. And helping Roy, Roy's probably experienced that this week, wanting, wanting to farm and be productive. I gotta go get more hose. And who here has have, had a plan fall apart before? It almost always does, right? So you should still strive for the plan. Frustrating human efficiency is one of God's primary means of sanctifying grace. Yeah. Frustrating your human efficiency is one of God's primary means of sanctifying grace. Say, no, you can't do it. Yeah, you do need me. My grace is sufficient for you. And I do have a plan that you're forgetting about. I think more generally, just coming out here to Bend, Oregon, planting the church, we've got to change our plans a lot. There's wildfire smoke, there's COVID, there's so many things, so many twists and turns. Innovation has to be like the number one thing in our tool belt <laughs> as a mission team, changing it up every single week. Because life happens, plans change, plenty of people have come or gone, the family changes that God is building here, that he's unifying here. But God is still making his plan realized. He's still getting the work done here. And he's still unifying us to be a part of that. Even when my plan collapses, or God isn't on my timetable, or fruitfulness doesn't look the way I think it should look like, God's plan is coming to fulfillment. Genesis 50, 20 says this, and this is Joseph after years of being imprisoned, which is not a very productive thing, or an effective thing, and then becoming the vice president of Egypt, and his brothers coming back and right asking for forgiveness. His brothers who harmed him, he says in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've been imprisoned or ensnared by sin or quarantined due to COVID. Maybe people have harmed you and you go, God, why is this happening to me? Well, remember, God has a plan. He's uniting all things. Maybe he's using it to his glory and to the good of others. 
the author of Ephesians 1 himself, Paul, he's writing this, God has a plan and God will be glorified from prison. Not a very productive or effective thing. Probably, absolutely not what Paul was planning. He was hoping to go on to Spain to evangelize there. But then he said, you know what? God was actually able to use this to advance the gospel to the prison guards. God was able to use this. God's plan. Frustrating Paul's plan. Do you see God's plan when he's not on your timeline? When his results don't look like your results? What do you do when your plan falls through? Is Jesus still king? What would you do if you were in lockdown for the next 10 years? Is God's plan still God's plan? Yes, make the plan Get the to-do list. But when that falls apart, when that is struggled, walk in the lavished grace and the peace of Christ Jesus, knowing that his plan is being realized. Amen, church? Amen. You're not measured by God by how much you produce. Amen? Amen or how much you get done on your list, or the plans that you accomplish yourself and everything that you check off, you're not measured by that. You're being measured by whether you trust God's sovereignty, by whether you allow Him to be glorified, to be able to work through your storms for the goodness of others. You're being measured by, hey, are you able to see God through those storms and still give Him the glory? when your plan is frustrated. That's his blessing. That's his lavished, sanctifying grace. That's the spiritual reality that we can allow to change our hearts to the glory of God when our plans aren't that glorious. If you haven't, you can grab a communion cup. And let's go to our Father God now in a word of prayer. Focusing on him, the plan that he is making realized here. Father God, we, we thank you for this word in Ephesians 1.10, this, this plan, this household administration, summing up every period of time and all the seasons and uniting all things in you, unifying all things together. God, that is incredible. Lord, that is earth-shattering. That is bringing to harmony everything in the universe, and we can forget that sometimes. Lord, we thank you especially for the season of time of you bringing redemption. Lord, as you said, making this known to us, this thing you've already done for us, dying on the cross, we, we pray now we can have that in view, we can be in touch with that, we can have gratitude for your plan, your perfect will, God. So we take the blood your blood in this juice and the bread representing your body, God. I pray we can remember these spiritual realities. When our plans fall short, when our efforts fall short, God, to remember that your grace and your plan is enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.